my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 316. Hope you're doing very well out there. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to talk about Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback. He's back. Uh, and uh, I think I got a good topic for Bears fans out there that feel like I'm not going to say any more, actually. We'll get there in a moment. We're going to talk about the Houston Texans. We're going to talk about USC football. Uh, we're going to talk about Chip Kelly at UCLA, some of the frustration there. Uh, we're going to talk about Gus Melzahn getting fired by Auburn. We're going to talk about some other college coaches that got canned. Uh, we're going to talk about Cleveland baseball. They do not have a team name. And so I, I kind of vote, you know, the Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> Sounds like a great name to me. And then, uh, look, I, I think we just have a fun show ahead. I'm really excited for today. Uh, there's Thursday Night Football tonight. That'll be awesome. I want to dive in, though. And I guess I need water first for my Strong Opinion Sports mug real quick before that. I don't have a, a way to sell this to you guys yet. I'm working on it. Hope it comes soon. Uh, I want to make them really cheap and, you know, not high quality, but you know, cheap to buy. I don't want to gouge you guys. So working on it behind the scenes. It's coming, I hope, someday. But again, I want to make it a, a fair, reasonable price that's not going to blow people's doorknobs off. Um, I want to give Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky a shout-out. And uh, look, if you know me, I try to always be fair. And so, look, when somebody deserves to be called out, hey, look, I call it like it is. I try to be honest all the time. But if I'm going to call people out, there's a bit of integrity that comes along with that. So again, if I'm going to call somebody out when they're bad... I also think it's fair to praise them when they're good. And while I stand by everything I've ever said about Mitchell Trubisky, he's played a lot of bad football. He drives me nuts. Uh, I will say the guy had a very, very good game on Sunday against Houston. And uh, look, he made good decisions. And I've been waiting a long time for Trubisky to play that way. There are flashes every once in a while where you go, Wow, Trubisky, that looks good. I like it. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought he executed at a very high level on Sunday. I thought he underthrew the ball a couple times, you know, down the sideline or on out routes where uh, I go, I don't know that that's a completion against a better defense. Uh, but he did uh, have this awesome throw, like, where he's rolling left. He's got Whitney Merciless in his face. He had an underhanded delivery to Cole Komet. And uh, I thought that was just kind of his best play of the day where I went, oh, not bad, Mitch. And uh, look, on Sunday, Trubisky went 24 for 33 passing, had 267 yards, three touchdowns, and we're back. We're talking about Trubisky again. And so, number one, on a personal level, Mitchell Trubisky has been through a lot. I mean, I, I know what it's like to get ripped to shreds. I know I also, by the way, I have been part of the group of people ripping him to shreds. I know the media has been very hard on him. Um, and again, I, I have an understanding of what it's like to be criticized. I talk for a living, strong opinion sports is my full-time job. And when you make content, every little thing you say gets ripped apart to shreds and criticized and analyzed. And everybody has some kind of feedback, usually negative to send back to you. I also played quarterback, uh, played quarterback in college. And so I understand what it's like to play quarterback. I understand what it's like to be criticized. You combine them. I think that's what Mitchell Trubisky has been through in the last year and a half, two, three, however many years he's been in Chicago. And so with the context of what's gone on in Trubisky's life, for him to put it all together and have a really great game, I, you know, especially after being benched, I mean, that's you got benched, you got 
ripped apart by the media and by your fans. And so that moment, playing really well, having a good game, that's got to feel incredibly good. I'm happy happy for Mitchell Trubisky. And, uh, I mean, that, it's, just, it's a cool story when you go, wow, this guy's been dragged through the mud. And uh, he's got, still got some supporters, I've learned, uh, since Sunday. Because they, they are loud and chirpy. And uh, I'm sure I had to feel good. Like, hey, I'm still here. I'm still Trubisky. I can still do whatever. Um, now, on one hand, I walked away from the game going, man, that's cool. Like, Trubisky had a good game. That's awesome. And then uh, my next immediate thought, though, was, man, like, why can't that happen more often? Why is that? Why did that game, which is quality quarterback play, why did that feel like some amazing rare thing? It shouldn't. It, that should be what happens every single week. And we just saw the Bears destroy Houston 36-7. to It was a beatdown. And for me, it was a reminder, oh, yeah. Like, when Chicago gets good quarterback play, they're capable of a lot. They're, they're a solid football team. Got some good players. Got Allen Robinson, a great receiver. David Montgomery. Jimmy Graham, say what you want. He's got six touchdowns this year. He's a beast on the goal line. Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, a good solid defense led by Khalil Mack. I mean, there are some players on this Chicago Bears team that are formidable. And so watching the game Houston against the Bears Sunday, I was reminded that when the Bears get good quarterback play, they're dangerous. And it's actually kind of an exciting thought to go, wow, what if the Bears had a good quarterback? Like, what if every week the Bears had a quarterback who played well? And I want to frame it that way. I'm not trying to say... What if it wasn't Trubisky? I'm trying to say, what if Trubisky played well? Or what if it was a new coach that solved the problem? Or what if the Bears had to bring in a new coach and a new quarterback? My point is that whatever shuffling needs to happen, a new coach or a new quarterback or both, changes need to be made in Chicago. And whatever changes are made, the result needs to be consistently good quarterback play. You need good quarterback play week in and week out. Because this Chicago Bears team clearly can win games. And it's being wasted every week when you have Nick Foles having a bad game or Trubisky having a bad game. I don't care who plays quarterback for Chicago. They need good quarterback play. No matter how you solve that problem, it needs to be solved. Personally, I don't believe Mitchell Trubisky is the answer. Uh, he did have a good game. Hey, great. He had a great game against Houston. By the way, uh, they're 4-9. and nine. They're, they're, That's not an impressive win in my opinion. Uh, but again, it's been a roller coaster in Chicago occasionally Trubisky has a great game. And you go, oh! And right as a lot of people are getting ready to give up hope on Mitchell Trubisky, he'll do like one good thing, distract everybody, and people are like, yes! See? He's got it! And you're like, but for like seven weeks he didn't have it. Suddenly he played one good game, and you're reaching, and your wishful thinking says, Trubisky's our guy long-term. It's wishful thinking. That's the word I'm looking for. And so I would not put my faith in Trubisky. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's played more bad than good. And I, I, I just look at it. It's not worth the, the trouble anymore <laughs> of putting anybody through the roller coaster of this Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, but again, he did, he did have a good game against Houston and I, I, I applaud him for that. I thought it was really, really cool. But again, that's a four and nine football team. They're the second to worst defense in the entire NFL. So I don't look at that and go, wow, Trubisky really beat a good, like when Trubisky beats, Kansas City or New Orleans or any formidable team. Hey, there you go. Like his signature win this year is against the Detroit Lions. Okay. 
Like, come on, guys. How am I the only, am I the only sane person left in the world that's like, uh, you really still, still are on the Trubisky train? I, I know he's got a good moment occasionally, but you're reaching if you think that that good moment twice a year is going to be the consistent quarterback play you need to win you a Super Bowl. It's just not going to happen. And, and maybe you get a good coach or a better coach, and that changes things for Trubisky. I don't know. I don't think Trubisky is the answer, but whatever changes need to happen, the Bears need good quarterback play week to week. They're too good of a football team to have their years of their franchise wasted with bad quarterback play. I don't care how you solve the problem. Mitchell Trubisky or not, it needs to be solved. You need better quarterback play in Chicago. Also, I do want to uh, give a shout-out to Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is a Bears tight end. They brought him in in the offseason of free agency. They gave him a big contract. A lot of people were like, oh, terrible contract. I think I even was like, ah, really? Jimmy Graham? Like, is that going to work? And to his credit, uh, Jimmy Graham has six touchdown catches this year. And no matter what you say about the guy, I think everybody can agree, if you watched any Chicago football at all this year, he is a monster on the goal line. He still is to this day. However old he is, I didn't do the math. I don't care. He's older than I would expect him to be doing well in the NFL. And he's still a guy who's hard to match up on against the goal line. What am I? On the goal line, he's hard to match up against. You throw a jump ball, you throw a fade on the goal line. Jimmy Graham is still a guy that can go up and get the ball. And I think it's kind of cool. I think he's making like, he, got a, he had a $16 million contract. There's an opt-out after this year if they want to. He's making $6 million here. That's about a million dollars a touchdown so far this year. They had the salary cap space. I really don't think Jimmy Graham was a bad investment, actually. I, I really couldn't go like, I, he's paid off to some degree. Like, on the goal line, Jimmy Graham is formidable. And he's winning matchups, and he's got touchdown catches. And I, I go, wow, that's actually kind of cool and kind of impressive. All right. Um, we need to talk about this other person next. And you're like, what kind of tease is that, Zach? That means nothing. <laughs> no, uh, we need to talk about Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans quarterback. Oh, man. He's had a quietly impressive year this year. Where Houston is just a mess on both sides of the ball all around him. I mean, their offensive line is awful. They cannot run the ball. They're literally the worst running team statistically in the entire NFL. They have had a ton of injuries. Uh, they're terrible on defense. They've been unimpressive at receiver. Again, statistically, the worst running team in the NFL. They're also statistically the second-to-last defense in the NFL. So they're the second-to-worst defense in the NFL. They're terrible running the football. All they really have is a quarterback, Deshaun Watson. And I believe, and I'm spitballing here, but in, in The Hobbit, there's a mountain called the Lonely Mountain. And I, I just always imagined it as this peak that stands out above everything else around it. That's Deshaun Watson on Houston Texans. And you can throw in, maybe it's a twin peak with J.J. Watt there as well. Uh, it's, it's Deshaun Watson just standing out above everybody else, and everybody else is just nothing around him. It's like, it's like man, this poor guy is just this lonely mountain out there <laughs> hoping to get some help and get some support around him. Uh, I, I just, oh, by the way, they also fired their coach in October. And this offseason, they trade away, traded away DeAndre Hopkins. Remember, uh, Deshaun Watson's security blanket, his best friend, his receiver, his guy who anytime he was in trouble, he could go find Nuke and throw him the ball. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins losing him was a, another example of just, man, this, this Texans football team 
has just just beating just beating the crap out of Deshaun Watson. It's so sad. And context matters. And the situation around Deshaun Watson is awful, awful. However, despite that, he's having a good year. I actually I've been watching Deshaun Watson every week, and I go. Man, like, and I watch probably way too more too much football. They're a four and nine football team. I watch every game they played this year, and I, I should not have, but I have. I because I like Deshaun Watson. He plays very well. He plays clean. He plays efficient football. And every time I watch Deshaun Watson, all kinds of stuff happens around the dude. Stuff that the guy cannot possibly control: dropped passes, fumbles, immediate pressure where like he'll he'll catch the snap and there's three guys in his face instantly, and you go like. I don't know what you do there. Like, that's it, not even, that's a four-man rush. You can't block four guys with five offensive linemen. And sometimes a running back, by the way. Uh, his defense gives up a ton of points. And when your team is really, really bad, it's easy to develop bad habits. I think the prime example of this is Carson Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, where Carson was holding onto the ball way too long, he was forcing throws, trying to make something happen. He called it hero ball. And that's part of why Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, has had such a bad year and eventually got benched for Jalen Hurts. Is I, I think he was already struggling with accuracy to some degree. And the, the pressure amplified things. And then having a bad offensive line, having receiver troubles. I mean, he is just he was jacking the ball all over the place, hoping, playing hero ball, holding on the ball, taking sacks, hit a fumble against the, against the Cowboys where... Extended the play. It's like, throw the ball away, throw the ball away, throw the ball away. And Carson's held onto it, fumbled out. It was just like so frustrating. I made a video about it. If you want to go watch it, you can. So the number one thing I can praise Deshaun Watson for this year is that he has not added to his team's problems at all. At all. He's made great decisions. He's been very accurate. Dude has been patient. He's thrown 26 touchdowns this year, five interceptions. Also, I think he's run for uh, three or more touchdowns. So I, I walk away from this year thinking that, man, Deshaun Watson deserves a ton of credit for how stable he's been this year. Despite the bad team around him, Houston's 4-9. and nine. I mean, against Chicago, for example, they had a drive that got ruined by penalties. They had a false start and then a, a holding penalty. That's 15 yards of penalties uh, from, I think it was like, started on second down and just ruined the drive. He also got sacked for a safety on a play where uh, the Bears brought a four-man rush. And only, by the way, you have five offensive linemen. So five offensive linemen and a running back in the backfield. Chicago brought a four-man rush, and his right guard, his right tackle, and his center all completely failed their blocks. Just completely missed. Got badly beaten. So Deshaun Watson got sacked in the end zone. That's two points for the other team. On another drive, Duke Johnson fumbled. That's a turnover. Drive ruined. And on a third and eight on their first drive, the Bears sent a blitz. And Deshaun Watson, being a, a, a at this point, a mature quarterback, said, hey, I recognize a blitz. Uh, if you blitz me, that means you got a weakness in coverage. I'm going to catch the ball and throw the ball to beat your blitz. He did that. And guess what? His receiver did not get his head around. It's called a hot route. If they blitz, alert, alert, alert. You need to look for the ball. Get your head around. Receiver did not get his head around. Made Deshaun Watson look bad and uh, threw, an, threw an incomplete pass. It's like, it's so many things are going wrong. And I, I hate to be the guy, but it's not Deshaun Watson's fault. It's, hey, receiver, get your head around. Hey, offensive line, how about three of the five of you don't just completely whiff? How about we not have really bad penalties that cost us 15 yards on first? Let's say, let's say it was first down, right? First down, you're what? Second, uh, first and 25 now? That's not, you can't have that. That can't happen. 
Can't have fumbles. Can't have turnovers. Can't have all these problems. It's crazy to me. And all the, all, everything I listed from that game is just the first half. It might not even be the end of the first half. I just stopped paying attention. I stopped caring. Uh, I stopped dissecting what was ruining their drives and started just feeling bad for Deshaun Watson. Guy got sacked six times. He had pressure in his face all day. And those six sacks are not really indicative of how many times he had pressure in his face because of all the other times where he escaped pressure. He got away. He made them earn it. He was making guys miss in the backfield. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel so bad for Deshaun Watson. This poor guy has... I, I Really, what's sad is that... Number one, shout out to Deshaun Watson. His team is awful. And he's playing about as good as he possibly could, right? He's making... He's just... He's controlling everything he can control. Everything he can control, he's doing a very good job. He can't control idiot receivers. He can't control fumbles or bad protection or this or that. But everything he can control, he's done about the very best he possibly could. But what's sad is that I walk away from this season, 4-9 right now, feeling like, man, Deshaun's playing really well. Just imagine. Imagine if he actually had a good team around him. (laughs) Imagine if he had some help. It's like... We would be watching Deshaun Watson destroy the NFL, just ripping people apart. And we don't get to see that because his team is inept. And, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. It's disappointing. Uh, star power is being wasted. And I, it's a sin among sins to have a great quarterback and not give the poor guy some support. That's what's happening in Houston. It drives me nuts. Every week I watch it. And every week I just get more and more angry at Bill O'Brien, who's not even there anymore, and this stupid organization. Uh, thank goodness they're paying him a lot of money. I mean, they better be, right? It, it's just so unfortunate. It's so disappointing. And uh, I, uh, man, I, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. We will talk about a little bit of a preview to the uh, yeah, I'm going to say this. I think that Oregon might beat USC. Uh, I think today's Thursday, so tomorrow, Friday. Friday night, the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, man. I love Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback. His team, they got problems, man. I, I think Oregon's better up front. I think Oregon is going to push him around a little bit in the trenches. I think that Keaton Slovis has saved USC a couple times. We'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about USC, Chip Kelly, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Uh, we'll talk about coaches who've been fired. We'll end with F1 at the very end of the show, so you can skip it. My name is Ax Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my, my face and monitor. Really, my hair. I need a haircut very badly. And I, I don't even know if I can get a haircut, actually. I mean, t- come to think of it. Like, I'm so disconnected from the world. I don't go outside, really, unless I'm getting like groceries or gas or I, mean, I work from home. I go for walks like at midnight in the dark here. <laughs> Can I get a haircut? I don't know. I live in Washington. I know they shut everything down. A genuine question. I should, I'll do research, but I need a haircut. I think, I think it looks too long. Uh, let's jump in. We'll talk about USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. So in my opinion, I got some of my notes. Ugh, I hit my nose earlier. It's very itchy. It doesn't feel good. USC quarterback Keaton Slovis is having a fantastic year. I I love watching the guy. I honestly believe he's going under the radar a little bit, actually. I think more people would be talking about him, except for the fact that he's only a sophomore, so 
NFL media isn't quite covering him yet. There's no draft hype just yet, although there will be very, very soon. People are going to start watching tape and go, oh boy. Uh, like As soon as the 2021 NFL draft ends and they're like, who's next, right? All eyeballs are going to shift to Keaton Slovis. I hope he stays in college as long as he possibly can. Keep getting better, kid. You're awesome. Uh, then also part of why I think he's going under the radar is he plays in the Pac-12. And I think when you compare, look, I think the Pac-12, quite frankly, is the weakest conference in college football other than like group of five schools. Uh, you know, I just, it doesn't have a huge draw. People are distracted on the West Coast. Like go to Alabama and tell me anybody in Alabama, sorry, tell me anybody in Los Angeles cares more about USC football than a single human being in Alabama. Every single human being in Alabama cares more about college football than 97% of people on the West Coast, I feel like. I mean, it just, there's, it's not even close. It just doesn't even, it's not even comparable. And so I, I will say though, USC is 5-0. and However, I don't, I don't think that this is really a team that is that great on a national level. I mean, I, if you compare, and I, I live in Pac-12 country. Okay? I went to a Pac-12 school for college. Uh, I, even with that, probably some bias there, I recognize like USC would get embarrassed up front by an SEC team or Clemson or Ohio State. I mean, it's just, I watch a team every week. They're getting challenged up front by Pac-12 schools. They're not even dominant in, you know, goal-to-go situations on fourth and one or third and one. But I will say USC is kind of the darling of the Pac-12. They're undefeated. They're about to play in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think what's not talked about when it comes to USC football is that they have been rescued by their quarterback in three of their five games. Keaton Slovis is phenomenal, and he's, he's just bailing them out of bad situations repeatedly. They beat Utah. They beat Washington State. Those were two convincing wins. Uh, Utah game was close. Then USC pulled away at the end. Uh, but Arizona State, Arizona, and then now UCLA last week, they only won. And I only, I mean, other people made plays, right? But the reason why they won those games was because of their quarterback, Keaton Slovis. He stepped up. He made plays. He saved them in the fourth quarter. Now, again, I think USC has got some good receivers. I, I want to give credit to other people, too. They're out there. Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London, Tyler Vaughns, Brew McCoy. Like, they've all made plays this year. He's got to throw to somebody. They are fantastic. I think it's the best group of receivers pretty easily in the Pac-12. Uh, they also have a star future NFL safety uh, Talanoa Hufanga. I hope I said that right. Talanoa Hufanga. Talanoa Hufanga. I'm so stupid. I'm doing my best. I watch this guy play every week, though, and I go, oh, my goodness. Hufanga is amazing. Like, however you say his name, I think I got it right. Dude is a beast. And so there are some people on this USC football team that are very, very good football players. However, it cannot be stressed enough that Keaton Slovis is an outstanding college quarterback. And this is a guy who, he loves football, and I'm not just saying that. I, I know some people, and I, I've talked to some people. I, I know that Keaton Slovis, for a fact, I'll say this. I have inside information. I know Keaton Slovis loves football. Uh, he's incredibly accurate. His ball location down the sidelines is perfect. And then as I go down the list, man, this guy's got great timing. He moves very well within the pocket. He can step up. He can step right. He can step left. He also can escape the pocket, keep a play alive, run to the sideline, He's really good at extending plays and throwing the ball vertically downfield. Uh, and then really, I think the most impressive quality that has been shown by Keaton Slovis all year is his discipline and his patience. 
And a lot of teams have played against USC on defense and played soft coverage, meaning that they back off a lot. They're not going to challenge you to play press man coverage. And the times when teams do not play soft coverage against USC, they literally have receivers run right by them. I've seen USC shred people vertically anytime you challenge them. If you play man coverage against USC, good luck. In the back 12 <laughs> No, it's not going to happen. And so, I, I mean, go watch the Washington State game. Watch the verticals that you'll see him throw to Amon Ross St. Brown and I believe Tyler Vaughn's. And I mean, he's just, Keaton Slovis is a beast throwing the ball vertically. But defenses have started to realize, and they've kind of, I mean, ever since Arizona State laid the blueprint early on in week one, Arizona State started this trend of saying, hey, these USC receivers are really good. And so they're going to torch us if we're not careful. We got to back off, play soft coverage, and we're going to force Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback, to be patient, force him to beat us underneath and make him be patient and make him wait to strike. And Keaton Slovis, to his credit, has taken what the defense gives him. He's been patient, waiting for that right moment to strike and throw the ball vertically. And I've seen him in these games be patient. All game, you're like, I, he's got to be getting bored, throwing underneath route, underneath route, five-yard hitch. And then they'll slip up or they'll challenge him. Bam! He'll just, like a, like a cobra coiling out, just gotcha. And... As much as I've been blown away by the, the great throws downfield, what I'm most blown away with, by with Keenan Slovis is his decision-making. I think he's better than some guys starting in the NFL. He's more disciplined. And the mental side of his game and his habits, it's completely blown me away. Every week I watch this kid, and I just hope that people eventually can recognize the talent that he has. He's a future NFL quarterback. And uh, USC does play Oregon on Friday night in the Pac-12 championship game. And, uh, oh, man, I think, I think USC's got some problems. Uh, they've been elevated by their quarterback all year. Uh, but we'll see what happens. USC versus Oregon. Personally, I, I think that I think Oregon's going to beat USC. I mean, uh, uh, that's not true. I think USC's got a better offense, and I, I, would, I would hope – I'm rooting for USC – I would not be surprised if Oregon beat USC. I think Oregon's a little better up front. Uh, they're better in short yardage situations. And so we'll see what happens. I, I'm excited and hoping for a good game. And what I really hope happens is that this is the game where the world can recognize and go, oh, wow, that USC kid, Keaton Slovis, he's amazing. I, I hope that's what happens on Friday. I want to say that because I've watched it all year and really for two years now. Keaton every week is just dialing it in, making great throw after great throw and really great decision after great decision, and I, I'm blown away by this guy. I think he's a great quarterback, and I, I love watching him every single week. Okay, uh, let's shift gears to the other school in Los Angeles. I got to say, man, I am so disappointed with UCLA football. Remember, this is the other school in Los Angeles. They also have football, by the way. And uh, in 2018, UCLA hired Chip Kelly to be their head coach. That's the former Oregon head coach. He coached in Philadelphia with the Eagles. He was with the San Francisco 49ers very briefly in 2016. Uh, and, uh, man, uh, it has not worked at UCLA. I watched uh, Kevin Sumlin get fired by Arizona. He went 9-20. and 20. Well, uh, Chip Kelly is one game better, and he's only played, he's played one more game, by the way, this year uh, at UCLA. UCLA's 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Arizona State was 0-5, but where Kevin Sumlin got fired at 9-20, and 20, uh, again, though, with a 12-loss uh, losing streak, 
Chip Kelly's only 10 and 20 at UCLA in three years. And they're three and three this year. They got one game left against Stanford. We'll see if that happens. COVID is very hit or miss. Like, I feel like every game, I don't trust that any game in college football is going to happen every week. I go, I'll believe it when I'm watching it live. Otherwise, I go, ah, oh, well, I don't know if that game ever is ever going to happen. But during the USC-UCLA game, uh, Greg McElroy was broadcasting. It's a former Alabama quarterback. I think, by the way, Greg, well done. You're a great broadcaster. He does a great job. Uh, he's a good analyst. He's a good teacher of the game. I really like listening to him broadcast games. One of the guys where I don't, I don't mute it. I actually really like listening to what he has to say. But he said something I didn't agree with, Greg McElroy did. Greg McElroy said that if Chip Kelly had been the Eagles coach in 2020 in the NFL, that it would have worked out differently. And basically his whole argument and his whole point was that Chip Kelly got to the NFL a little bit too early. And that, that could like, there's a reality where that's true. Like It's possible that's true. But here's why I'm not sold on that theory. And the idea that Chip Kelly got to the NFL too early, and, he, and by the way, he did really get there before the NFL was really shifting towards college schemes, where you, now, you know, Kyle Shanahan made it. We're doing the RG3 kind of revolutionized the zone read, RPOs, and the NFL was changed by Kyle Shanahan instituting some college stuff into his offense, and from then on, it flourished. But... And I don't even, I, I honestly couldn't tell you whether that was before or after Chip Kelly. I don't really care. What's interesting to me is that it begs the question, if Chip Kelly was like too early to the NFL, trying to pioneer college ideas in the NFL. And, and again, I, I don't know if Kyle Shanahan came before or after. I don't, it, it doesn't matter to the argument. The argument is, the argument is if Chip Kelly was too early, then why couldn't Chip Kelly sell people on his philosophy? Why couldn't Chip Kelly convince people, hey, I'm not just a dumb college coach. I am a good football coach, and I can make it work here as well. Because it, it always appeared like Chip Kelly's NFL players could not get over the stigma of playing for a, quote, college coach. And really what that means to me is that Chip Kelly was not inspiring enough to be a pioneer. He was not inspiring enough to make people believe in him, even if he was a little bit different. And then I look back at Chip Kelly's history. And yeah, he was very briefly, four years in a row at Oregon, had a great, uh, great football program. So he was briefly successful at Oregon. And that's really his claim to fame. The four years at Oregon, he went 46 and seven. Chip Kelly's a great coach because of that four-year span. Here's the problem, though. Chip Kelly did not grow that program. He didn't build Oregon. Chip Kelly inherited that team from Mike Bellotti, the previous coach. And the two years before Chip Kelly took over as head coach, Oregon went 9-4 and four, and then 10-3, and three, and he inherited a 10-win football team. So did Chip Kelly build Oregon? No, he did not. Chip Kelly was handed a great program. And yeah, Chip Kelly is undeniably an offensive genius. The dude's got a great offensive mind, good play design, good formations. The, the play calling, the anticipating what a defense is going to do, it blows me away. I go, man. Or he had, he had a four tight end set against USC. He had four tight ends and one running back in the game. I went, that's just wicked and cool. I, I, fun to watch. Like, good stuff. I mean, clearly, you cannot deny Chip Kelly's offensive mind. It's, it's brilliant. 
But as smart as Chip Kelly is on the chalkboard and designing plays and calling plays, he's not a good enough leader. And I, I know people at that program. He's not inspiring. He's not that likable. He's not that – you don't go – no, no one ever listens to Chip Kelly talk and goes, yeah, I'm going to jump through a brick wall. <laughs> Nobody feels that way. And I know that when I listen to Herm Edwards at Arizona State, I watching on my couch go, I, I am ready to do anything this man wants me to do. This guy is amazing. I've never heard Chip Kelly in once in my life say anything where I go, wow, you know, this guy really, what a great leader. What, a, what an inspiring man. I want to follow this guy into battle. And so he's not inspiring enough to be a pioneer in the NFL. He's not inspiring enough to build a program. And the reality about Chip Kelly is, in my opinion, he's a great offensive coordinator. Part, like, amazing. Clearly a great offensive mind. But because you're a great offensive mind does not necessarily mean you're going to be a great head coach. And I don't think Chip Kelly is a great head coach. And that's the problem. And that's what's going to – UCLA, they're going to keep banging their heads on the wall, waiting and waiting for, you, uh, for Chip Kelly to build that program. And I don't think he's capable of that, unfortunately. I, I hope he gets a job someday as a coordinator – and I think he'd be amazing at that job. He, he clearly knows his football. But you need to know more than X's and O's to build a great program and be a great head coach. And so since I'm talking about UCLA, I want to talk about Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the quarterback at UCLA. And we'll call him DTR. DTR's career makes me sad. I mean, I, I just, I, I go, man, like, oh, dang it. Every time I watch the guy, even when DTR does very well, it makes me feel honestly more discouraged because the talent there is so obvious. I mean, he's got an amazing arm. He can run really well. He's got good ball location. He can extend plays. He can run for yardage. I mean, DTR can do everything. Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's got the skill set of a Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, just to be totally honest. And we've seen flashes occasionally. I remember there was a Washington State game up in Pullman a couple, like two years ago maybe, where in the snow he put up like 66 points and had a crazy comeback. And so we've seen moments where DTR is amazing. And I thought the USC game, he played really, really well. And I don't know what the problem is. I I, I can't diagnose the problem. I think, uh, I, I can't tell you why he hasn't exploded and become a star. I feel like he's capable of it, and it hasn't happened. And DTR's had a very up-and-down career where moments of greatness and then moments of really bad lows. And maybe it's coaching. Uh, maybe it's he was out with COVID this year, so we'll never really know. Um, and, and again, if it is coaching, I mean, that appears to also been kind of the problem with Justin Herbert is he got to the NFL and got better coaching. Justin Herbert exploded, and we're like, wow, how could you ever doubt him? And I go, well, he wasn't doing the stuff he's doing in the NFL in college, right? He's okay. Like, you can be mad at me about Justin Herbert. I think good coaching matters, and that's what made Justin Herbert even better. And I would love to see Dorian Thompson Robinson at the Senior Bowl or in an NFL preseason game because he's a really talented quarterback. And I, I'm not sure why he hasn't exploded. I don't know. Is it him? Is it work ethic? Is it... Uh, is he just a really talented guy that doesn't care very much? Is he poorly coached? Like, I don't know what's going on. But I know that when I look at Dorian Thompson Robinson play very, very well, I go, man, like, where is that all the time? It's discouraging and disappointing because it feels like a missed opportunity with a guy that's incredibly physically gifted who has not exploded and has not had a great career. 
and I feel like is capable of potentially winning a Heisman Trophy with just his talent-wise. So, I don't know. DTR makes me very, very sad. UCLA football makes me very, very sad. Chip Kelly, I don't believe, is going to be the guy to turn that program around, and uh, it's all just unfortunate. Now, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to UCLA running back Demetric Felton. Uh, Dude can run. Dude can catch passes. He's got a really cool skill set, and I think he's going to get a chance in the NFL. And I walked away from the USC game going, oh, who's that guy? Very impressed with Demetric Felton. Uh, and I, I want to see more of him down the road moving forward. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about fired coaches. We'll talk about Cleveland baseball, Formula One at the end. Gus Melzahn. You guys know, I'm sure you know that name. We'll talk about him. He got fired. And it was uh, interesting what happened. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's talk about some fired football coaches. The University of Arizona just fired Kevin Sumlin, their head coach. Uh, the news broke right after they lost to Arizona State 70-7. to That means that Arizona State scored 70 points, 7-0, and Arizona only scored 7. Not good. And uh, Arizona was 0-5 this year. And in the three years Kevin Sumlin was there, he went 9-20. and Nine wins in three years. 0-5 this year. Actually ended his tenure on a 12-game losing streak. In fact, to add insult to injury, he actually lost all three matchups against Arizona State. And here's what the Arizona Athletic Director, uh, Dave Heek, said. He said this, quote, When we hired Kevin three years ago, we had very high hopes for our football program. Unfortunately, we simply have not seen the results and upward trajectory in our program that we needed to. And I believe now is a time for a change in leadership. I thank Kevin for his service to the University of Arizona and wish him the very best in the future. And so I walked away from this, and I'll be totally honest, I have not followed Arizona very closely. I I could not tell you what specifically happened that caused him to fail as the Arizona head coach. But I just was disappointed it didn't work. I know that Kevin Sumlin once coached Case Keenum, and then he later coached Johnny Manziel. And so he's had his hands on some really good college quarterbacks. And I always thought that, man, Kevin Sumlin teaming up with Khalil Tate, a guy who could run and throw, and I thought was a a guy with Heisman potential, we'll say. I thought, man, Kevin Sumlin with this guy? Going to be a home run. And Khalil Tate came and went. And it never worked. Kevin Sumlin and Khalil Tate never worked. And I think that was the the moment I realized, why wow, he can't coach Khalil Tate and Khalil Tate and him not working. Because Tate was so talented. It felt like a gigantic missed opportunity. When that happened, I just realized, oh, this isn't going to work. And I, I, ever since that moment, I've been like, man, how long until Kevin Sumlin gets fired? And he did. And it, it's sad. It's like, man, I, I'm just disappointed that like, it would have been so cool to see Kevin Sumlin work at Arizona. It didn't work. And it's too bad. Now, Illinois fired their coach, Levy Smith. That's also the, Levy Smith was the former Bears, uh, Chicago Bears head coach. He actually took them to a Super Bowl and lost to Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy, and the Colts. Levy Smith was at Illinois for five years. He went 17-39. and 39. His team is 2-5 and five this year so far. I think he might play one more game. We'll see what happens. Uh, here is the statement that Illinois... Athletic Director Josh Whitman said, he said, Levy Smith led the Illinois football program with unquestioned integrity during his nearly five years of service. 
I have tremendous respect for Coach Smith and will always be grateful for him for providing a steady, experienced hand at a time when our program required stability. His unshakable leadership never more needed than during this pandemic will be forever remembered. Nonetheless, based on extensive evaluation of the program's current state and future outlook, I have concluded that the program is not progressing at the rate we should expect at this advanced stage in Coach Smith's tenure. To achieve our competitive objectives, I believe new leadership of the football program is required. I will always look fondly on the time Lovey and I have spent together. I wish him and Mary Ann nothing but the best. It's justified, in my opinion. Like, Illinois is totally justified there. Uh, they gave him five years, and that's fair. You, you give a coach five years, it, he's two and five, it's not working. Uh, I, I think he was mature. I liked his, he had this cool white beard. Uh, but I think it's very fair to fire Lovey Smith at this point. Uh, you know, not to mention that the next head coach can feel very comfortable knowing that there is a patient administration uh, governing Illinois football. Now, Auburn fired their coach, Gus Malzahn, after eight years. And so Auburn is going to pay a $21.45 million buyout to Gus Malzahn. To get rid of him. They're paying him to leave. By the way, a coach has got a winning record. He's 6-4 and four this year. And it also looks even worse because you're now, as a result of this, you know, the timing's terrible because not only is it right before uh, the early signing period starts in college football, it also makes uh, Alabama's highest paid state employee during a pandemic is now a fired football coach. Ooh, not good. Like that's, that does not sit, sit very well. It's bad optically, right? Now, Gus Malzahn is not a guy I'm going to go out of my way to defend. He's very secretive. Uh, his offense is supposed to be a strong suit. It actually, his offense has struggled. You're like, well, it's supposed to be an offensive guy. What's going on? Uh, the Auburn athletic director came out and said that they were looking for a coach who can, quote, help uh, the Auburn program consistently compete at the highest level. So they're like, we're not competitive enough. We want to get rid of the guy. Let's do a buyout. Uh, I'll be honest here, though. It seems like Auburn... Somebody just got angry and said, you're out of here. Get out of here. Scram. And they fired Gus Malzahn without a plan. And that's not ever really good. Again, not a guy. I'm not going to defend Gus Malzahn that heavily. Uh, I will say that as a coach, he did go to the national championship. His very first year, his rookie season as head coach, lost the national championship to Florida State. Uh, he was also the offensive coordinator for Cam Newton. Uh, Cam won a Heisman Trophy. They did win a national championship that year with him as offensive coordinator. And Gus Malzahn is a super control freak. That's well known about him. But he did, he did have some cool moments. He had the kick six to beat Alabama, which really like they, you know, kick, the Alabama kicks a field goal. Auburn catches it, runs it back for a touchdown down the left sideline. I think Nick Young, Nick Nick Marshall. I, I don't remember the guy's name. I'm so sorry. Nick, uh, no, something Davis. Some, but some, some Davis name. I forget. So Nick Davis, maybe some crazy uh, cornerback runs it back for a touchdown. You're like, ah, oh, it's amazing. It was kind of the the highlight of his, of his Auburn coaching career. I don't, I'm not an Auburn fan. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know, know the name of the one guy who ran back the kick. I'm sure Auburn fans are going to grill me there. And it's not relevant to this topic. And when I heard he was getting a 21 million dollar buyout, I'll be honest. I went, man, good for Gus. Like, good for him. Because you may not realize, Gus Malzahn started his career coaching Mitch Mustaine, actually, uh, in Arkansas, in high school football. 
So Gus Malzahn went from a high school football coach, a very good one, by the way, probably going to get paid very well for a long time. But he went from a high school football coach to being ridiculously rich. Uh, way more, he's got more than $21 million in his bank now. And I just go, man, good for Gus Malzahn. I mean, that's just a, if that isn't the American dream right there. I mean, that's just awesome. Like, hey, well done, man. Now, here are the names that are being thrown out to replace Gus Malzahn. I've heard uh, Oregon coach Mario Cristobal. I've heard Scott Satterfield at Louisville. I've heard Billy Napier from the University of Louisiana. Uh, Hugh Freeze from Liberty. Bill O'Brien, the former Penn State and Houston Texans coach who got fired from Houston. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. Uh, Brent Venables, the Clemson defensive coordinator. Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn, the former Falcons head coach who got fired in the NFL. Uh, Some of those names feel like wishful thinking, like good luck getting Mike Gundy or Mario Cristobal. They're happy. They're safe. They've got good jobs and they're paid well. I doubt they're leaving. Uh, And then, you know, I'm not really sure some of these names are even an upgrade. Like Tony Elliott or uh, I'm not going to – I don't want to throw out any more names to – make people angry, but I just, there are a couple of names on there. I'm like, that, that guy's better than Gus Melzahn. Really? Like, I, okay, good luck. And then really the question has to be asked, is Auburn even a good job? And you oh, I can, I can feel the anger. Like I know that people watching and listening, a wave of anger ran right through Auburn fans. They're like, War Eagle! Ah! I'm like, yeah, good, great. But I think about this. It's a lot of money, but they're going to also have an, unhealthy expectation right off the bat. And if you're me, I mean, you better make me a rich man if you want me to coach at Auburn. If, if I'm Mario Cristobal or Mike Gundy, who's very safe and very happy. So we'll see. I, I, I am, I got my eye on this Auburn job. We'll see what happens. Uh, again, I, I just feel like they got angry. They're like, they were so mad. They fired the guy emotionally. They took action before they really had a plan to replace him and We'll see who they replace him with. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I'm criticizing Auburn, but, I mean, two years from now, they could be winning a national championship. So who knows, right? Try to be fair. Try to be honest. Try to be open. But I don't know this situation was entirely handled the right way. Even though, again, I'm not the first guy to defend my, uh, defend Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn, control freak. Uh, his offenses haven't been playing very well. I, he's not killing it. So, like, if you're not doing amazing – your firing's probably justified, but was it really justified to do a $21.45 million buyout right now during a pandemic when you probably don't have a plan to replace him? Like, and he's six and four. He had a winning record, by the way, this year with the young quarterback who's growing. Like, okay, good luck, man. Good luck, Auburn. Good luck to you guys. By the way, the Cleveland Indians are no more. The team announced that they are changing their name. So they're, you know, by the way, I kind of like the Washington baseball team. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the, the Cleveland baseball team, because we're, you know, we're in baseball and it's in Cleveland and that's how we name teams now. And it's got like a charm, kind of like the like Dallas FC, Dallas Football Club or, uh, you know, Washington football team. I don't know. I kind of like it. Uh, I think it's a smart move purely from a PR standpoint where uh, it's proactive, right? You're changing your team name ahead of a, you know, before it became a big problem, before there was a crisis level event that you had to solve. I mean, the Washington football team had their sponsors pull out. They're like, oh, we better change our name. This hasn't happened in Cleveland, but you might as well get ahead of it. 
Uh, I mean, they've get, they've been getting crap about this for years, and again, it's a smart PR move. You're probably not going to lose your diehard fans. And if anything, you gain respect around the world. People going, oh, like, good on the Cleveland baseball team. Now, the rumored name to replace the, uh, the former name is the Cleveland Spiders. I guess the name has some history. There was a former baseball team there named the Cleveland Spiders uh, in the late 1800s. And as I read about this, I'll be totally honest. Like, Cleveland baseball team, whatever their name is, is cool. Like, I'm interested. I'll, I'm very fascinated to see what happens there. But really, the thing I couldn't stop thinking about was what's going to happen to the Atlanta Braves or the Chicago Blackhawks and the Kansas City Chiefs. Because at some point, it feels inevitable that their name changes are going to happen as well. The Atlanta Braves, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Chicago Blackhawks. I will say, if and when this happens, right, the number one, <laughs> my selfishly, right, the thing I'm most, I care the most about uh, is that I, I hope we get to see the Tomahawk stay. The, oh, like, I'm not going to do any more, but it's, it's, that, it's this amazing chant. I, I recommend you go look it up. Uh, I hope it isn't lost. Look up the Chiefs Tomahawk chant. It's on YouTube. It's so cool. And I, I would love to see that stay. Uh, no matter what their team name is, it's just a, it's this amazing cultural thing, and I, I don't know. I I, I guess the only angle I can take, because uh, I gotta, I'm on YouTube and I, I gotta, and I, I'm a, I have to say the right thing here is I, you know, you PR says it's the right move. You're proactive. You're changing things ahead of the uh, inevitable anger, and it's already again, it's a name that is widely uh, viewed as offensive anyway. So the best thing you can do is say. We're going to change the name before it becomes a big problem and we have lawsuits or this or that. And I think maybe they get some credit points for being proactive. So good for Cleveland and uh, it's a good name change. All right. Last topic of the day from that kind of downer of a topic. The Formula One season came to an end on Sunday. Uh, we had the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And it was such a boring race. I'll be honest. Max Verstappen won. Valtteri Bottas got second. Lewis Hamilton got third. The top three did not change the entire race. Uh, that was the top three, even in the starting grid. I mean, they literally, that's how they qualified. That's how they finished. That's how the race went the entire time. All 50, 60, whatever many laps there were. And uh, I'm new to F1. It's my first year following F1 religiously. I don't know if Abu Dhabi is always a boring track. Maybe the track layout lends itself to a boring race. It's not very good. I don't know. Uh, but I will say there's also an inherent flaw with F1. And I don't know that it's like this world shattering awful thing. It's just a, it's a thing that you can't really solve is the built into the way the league works is you always are going to have an anticlimactic ending. Uh, I mean, uh, although I will say if there's ever a race that comes down to the, a season that comes down to the final race, I bet that'd be amazing. I bet it's happened before. It would have been so cool if like this race had huge implications. It didn't, uh, because you got a point scoring system. And so Lewis Hamilton won. A long time ago, and a couple of weeks ago, Mercedes won. So we we knew who won the drivers' championship and the constructors' championship weeks ago. Now in this race in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, uh, Sergio Perez had engine trouble; he had to retire early, meaning he did not finish the race. So Racing Point's hopes to get third in F1 relied on Lance Stroll, and Lance Stroll could not deliver. By the way, which is not a surprise. If I were Racing Point, I'd go okay. All of your hopes to get a podium finish in the Constructors' Championship. To get third, I don't think of a podium for that, and I have no idea. Uh, 
But to get third, all your hopes rely on Lance Stroll. I'd go, ah, dang it, we lost. And they did. Uh, Lando Norris got fifth. Carlos Sainz got sixth. So that gave McLaren 18 points on the day. They leapfrogged Racing Point. Lance Stroll finished 10th. That gave Racing Point one point on the year. So in the Constructors' Cup, Mercedes got first. They had 573 points. Red Bull got second with 319 points. And then third was McLaren with 202 points. And right behind them in fourth was Racing Point with 195 points. Uh, Renault was fifth, 181. That's really all that happened. Uh, The only interesting thing that happened in this race was that uh, McLaren leapfrogged Racing Point. Otherwise, the top three did not change the entire race. It stayed the same. And I will say, as I reflect on F1, I, I love the drivers, I love the, the technical terms, I love the, the racing spawn, but my, I want to give a shout out to one of the things that I think is often overlooked by people that are not new to F1. So if you've been an F1 fan for a long time, you take a lot of the stuff I'm about to say for granted, I would imagine. I'm coming with an American perspective of watching football and baseball and the NBA my whole life. And what I, one thing I love about F1 is that the broadcasters are always the same. And by the way, they're always great. I mean, you watch a, an NFL game, you're never listening to the same broadcasters week to week unless you watch Monday, like the, the couple primetime games. And even then, it's, you know, Sunday Night Football is their guys and Fox has their guy and ESPN has their couple guys. And so um, listening to F1, getting the consistent same broadcasters every week makes me so happy. And actually, I love them. The British accents, it's so good and it works really, really well. The music is awesome. There are great graphics. Uh, there's no commercial breaks like there are with American sports. So you, you're getting commercials with, you know, the, the team names and the stuff on their jackets and hats and everything. But there's no breaks from the race, and I love that. Uh, there's different countries and different locations. You see these beautiful landscapes like the Alps and the mountains and beaches. And, oh, my God, it's so cool. I love, I love that aspect of F1. It's, it's an amazing spectacle, really. And there's good drama. Uh, turn one's always fun. There's crashes and there's uh, overtakes. And turn one is like my favorite part of almost every race. My girlfriend comes down and sits next to me. My girlfriend became an F1 fan this year. I mean, I, someone who knows nothing about race. I mean, that's also another thing about F1 is that it's easy to understand. You, it, it's, it's very much like, if you watch football, my girlfriend asks a million questions. She'll never understand it. She watches F1. She goes, I get it. I know what's happening. He's trying to get past that guy. It's, it's a race. I mean, racing is so... You don't need to speak the same language to understand racing. And uh, I, it's a great watch. I love F1. It was a fun first year for me. My first year ever covering F1. First time ever following F1. Had a great time. I really did. I, I, I kind of, my dream, I think, realizing is that I, my dream is to have a season where the, the final race is what determines who wins F1. I, I could be forever till we get that. I have no idea. Uh, when you have dominant teams, it's gonna not it's not gonna come out of the wire probably ever. Um, but I I just love F one man. I had a great time watching this year. I think Netflix was filming. I think they got Drive to Survive rec- recorded somewhere. Um, I'll watch that whenever it comes out. I love it. Um, but I I just my my last takeaway from this year really is that Sergio Perez had better have a job next year in F one. And if he doesn't, it's criminal and ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous for Lance Stroll to have a job and him not to have a job. But it's even more ridiculous for Alex Albin to main, to remain the number two driver for Red Bull. And Sergio Perez is at home twiddling his thumbs, just waiting. I mean, Max Verstappen even said, he said, look, I have no support. I have no, I have no backup. 
Every week it's me against two Mercedes cars. I need somebody else to help push the pack from the push us from the back. I need help. And I, I hope that Red Bull does the right thing and goes to pick up Sergio Perez and goes to get Max Verstappen help. I uh, I would be so disappointed and I would I would honestly I'd lose respect. Like if if Red Bull doesn't go get Sergio Perez, in my heart I would go, Do you guys really want to win? Like are you are you guys wrong? Like, do you actually care? Like, are you worried about optics and money or are you worried about winning? Because I think the only thing you can do if you want to win is go get Sergio Perez and replace Alex Albin. So I, that's my, my lasting thought about F1 as we go into the offseason is that Sergio Perez. And let me Google this before I end the show. Let's Google to make sure that Sergio Perez didn't magically get a job in the last couple hours or minutes while I was talking about this. So Sergio... Perez. Did he get the Red Bull job? Nope. Uh, nope. No, nope. Nothing. Red Bull to decide Alex Albin's future in the coming days, says Christian Horner. So, we don't know yet. I, I really, I... It better happen. Like, how, how can how can Sergio Perez be left out of F1? It, it'd be such a shame. It'd be, it'd be horrible and stupid and wrong. Drives me nuts. Okay, tonight, guys, there's Thursday Night Football. I believe it's the, it's the Raiders and the Chargers. The Raiders are, what? what's their record? Let me Google, come on. Why, how come when you Google, oh my gosh, Raiders, Chargers. I'm going to pull this up. I, I, and the show is ending, but I'm leaving. So the Raiders are 7-6, and six, the Chargers are 4-9. and nine. Regardless of the record, this is a must-win game for the Vegas Raiders. If they want to stay, they cannot go 7-7. Seven and seven. Then they're out of the playoffs. I mean, they're probably already out of the playoffs anyway. But if the Raiders want to keep their playoff hopes alive, they have to win tonight. And it's a tough win. Justin Herbert, like, say what you want about the Chargers. They are, uh, they have a knack for not winning games and, and blowing leads and doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff. But they are a good football team. And they can beat the Raiders tonight if they play well. And if Justin has a great game and if the Raiders aren't on top of things. So, uh, Thursday Night Football tonight, going to be a great game. I love you guys. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.